Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Okay, my daughter has been 17 months old now, eating non-stop today. Now, there are days, I mean, she already eats pretty much every two hours on cue and they're pretty much like full meals. But this kid, we started at breakfast. I kid you not, she'd say she's done, but she really wasn't done. No surprise, she's 17 months old. Wash her hands, we'd be all good, and then she'd go running to the fridge again saying, Mo, Mo, she'd say more. And then we'd find something else. She had probably, by the time it was not even 10 o'clock, she probably had six or seven smoothies for the day, you know, in her little smoothie cup. She had had cheese. She had had eggs. She had had, oh my goodness, so many different things. She has had me dine. I basically sat at the table all day with her during her waking hours eating. And then mistakenly, mistakenly, and again, rookie parent, new parent here, mistakenly washing her hands, uh, thinking that she was done many a times, taking off the bib, and then we go through it all again. <laughs> I understand why some parents give up on making their kids eat at the table, but I'm emphatic. We sit down and we eat at the table unless you're outside. Anyway, mom life over here. You're listening to Trending with Tim Murray here on Relevant Radio. And other news, did anyone catch on Friday night where comedian Bill Maher actually weighed on, in on the increase in transgender identities and actually objected to it? About eight, nine minutes of a monologue that was fantastic, hilarious, true, and really penetrated to the heart of the issue about how this transgender ideology is basically an experiment on the backs of children. And that's problematic, and that's a main reason as to why he's saying we should call it into question from the sudden onset and high increase in numbers of trans identity to the fact that this is an experiment yet again on children. Joining me in just a few moments will be Michael Gasparro. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist who is addressing this on the ground, boots on the ground, working with people who are experiencing everything from gender dysphoria, same-sex attraction, you name it. He's an expert in responding to this issue, not just from a family therapist perspective, but also from the perspective of a faithful Catholic. We're also going to talk about how the new orders of guidance that came from Health and Human Services, uh, which by the way was handed down in part by so-called Rachel Levine, who's actually a man pretending to be a woman, and for some reason it's okay for this man to make decisions about children when he's obviously confused. But anyways, he's saying that psychology, pediatricians, 
endocrinologists are all in agreement about how to treat children when it comes to cross-sex hormones and so-called gender affirmation surgery. No such thing. You can't change your gender, can't change your sex. Well, we're going to debunk that with truth and reality. We're taking your questions on the LGBTQ crisis today. Maybe you have a friend, a family member. Maybe you're just having a hard time understanding it. Maybe you think the church's teachings mean. That's okay. We're here to talk to you and have that conversation. Numbers 1-888-914-9149. We love questions. We love disagreement here. We're also taking abortion questions in light of the ongoing debate centering around abortion, the imminent overturning of Roe versus Wade, returning the issue of abortion back to the states where we will see state-to-state battles over pro-life versus pro-abortion laws. We'd love to hear the arguments you're hearing and what arguments are perhaps a little difficult for you to answer. 1-888-914-9149. You can also share your question now on social media. Just reach out to me, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm there at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. And by the way, if you want to see some fun photos of the baby eating all day, well, they're there on Instagram. You can check them out. Uh, joining me now is, again, licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. Michael, you sent me, I totally missed this over the weekend. So on Friday night, HBO talk show comedian Bill Maher weighs in on the increase in transgender identities. He starts by citing a 2021 Gallup poll showing this massive onslaught of trans-identifying individuals, or should I say individuals who identify as trans because trans is not our identity. Uh, But he really shows how there's this massive increase where it was about 2.6 boomers who identify as trans, and now it's about 20.8 of Generation Z identifying as trans. It's a massive increase in the percentage of young people who identify as transgender. It's fascinating to hear some of what Bill Maher said, peppered with so much truth and plenty of comedy. But listen, to just a little glimpse of this when he talks about when things change this much this fast we have to ask what's up i'm just saying that when things change this much this fast people are allowed to ask what's up with that all the babies are in the wrong bodies was there a mix-up at the plant like with captain crunch's oops all berries It wasn't that long ago when adults asked a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? They meant, what profession? (laughs) In the wake of America about to lose abortion rights, the ACLU recently tweeted a list of those who would be disproportionately harmed by this. You would think women might top that list. No, wasn't even on the list. Second on the list was LGBT. Really? Abortion rights affects gay and trans people more than, you know, breeders? (laughs) Okay, this is Bill Maher commenting on the sudden onslaught of many individuals identifying as transgender and the massive increase of up to 20% of Generation Z identifying as transgender. What is going on? Joining me now to discuss is licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. Michael, what were your initial reactions to this Bill Maher monologue on transgenderism? Okay, so first, Timri, I think what he was saying is up to 20% of Gen Z identify as LGB or T. So it's not just 20% correct. trans specifically identified. So Thank I just want to clarify yes, a little correct. bit for the beginning of our conversation. 
So that that is still a shocking number. I think the quote he says or another part is by at this rate, the entire country will be LGBT identified by 2054. So um, I, I don't know what else to say other than, wow. I mean, this is definitely a time where frankness is in order as the authors of the National Review article on this monologue say, Bill Maher quote says, if we can't admit that in certain enclaves there is some level of trendiness to the idea of being anything other than straight, then this is not a serious science-based discussion. It's a blow being struck in the culture wars using children as cannon fodder. Pretty powerful words. Mm. You know, it's interesting because at the heart of what he says over and over again in this nine-minute monologue, Michael, is the emphasis that this is primarily impacting children. And over and over again, he says it points the fact that this is why we should be questioning it. But this is also why we should take a pause with regard to what is happening. And he actually says, I want to play another clip from Bill Maher, where he talks about because this involves children, we should be asking some questions about the experimentation and also look to other nations that kind of were leading uh, the charge in doing cross-sex hormones and have completely done a 180 in terms of what they do with, in particular, minors who identify as transgender in particular. And it's okay to ask questions about something that's very new and involves children. The answer can't always be that anyone from a marginalized community is automatically right, trump card, mic drop, end of discussion. Because we're literally experimenting on children. Maybe that's why Sweden and Finland have stopped giving puberty blockers to kids because we just don't know much about the long-term effects. Although common sense should tell you that when you reverse the course of raging hormones, there's going to be problems. We do know it hinders the development of bone density, which is kind of important if you like having a skeleton. <laughs> Fertility and the ability to have an orgasm seem also to be affected. This isn't just a lifestyle decision. It's medical. Weighing trade-offs is not bigotry. Michael, can you speak to the fact that he mentions Finland and Sweden have actually stopped doing cross-sex hormones, especially for minors, but even reconsidering it for adults as well. Can you speak to how this crosses over both into the medical as well as the psychological community and a change of approach that is needed in the United States and yet there's no regulation yet? The common term that we hear a lot, which is really good to know as a maybe a traditional Catholic what you're listening for is gender affirming care. So somebody might say like, well, they don't use hormone blockers or, or puberty blockers is one category and then cross-sex hormones is the second step, the next category, but they'll use the term gender affirming care. Why is that so confusing? Because which gender are they affirming? Their biological sex or their gender identity? When we hear the term gender affirming care in our current milieu, in our culture, it generally refers to medical intervention that will try to help a person look more like the opposite of their biological sex. And the really interesting thing is that some of these countries, Timory, have nationalized health care. And that should be a warning sign to us about why they're changing course. Because the government is most likely to be responsible if people are sued over damage done due to, quote, gender affirming care. So in the United States, there is less emphasis from the politicians on the risks because they stand to be 
targeted less than insurance companies. So what a lot of psychologists in the field of, that are more conservative are saying is look to how the insurance companies are speaking on this issue because in the United States, they stand to lose the most if they're sued by individuals who, as an adult, say, you harmed me as a child. So instead of, quote, gender-affirming care, what we often see in Catholic circles is therapists and psychologists who at the minimum at the very minimum, want to advocate for the wait and see approach, just without mm -hmm. interfering at all with their biological development, but providing supportive, and by that I mean non-shaming, emotionally reflective, kind, listening ear as parents or counselors, at minimum doing that, most children will outgrow gender dysphoria mm -hmm. or a sense that they're in the wrong biological body on their own, a vast majority will outgrow it without intervention, simply just the wait and see mm -hmm. approach. For those with more persistent and severe gender dysphoria, there are a variety of therapeutic approaches, but one therapeutic approach can be family therapy, which takes a look at the way the whole family system views gender, sexuality, parental relationships with mom and dad, with daughter or son. So these types of therapies can vary in their methods and in their styles, but they should not, in the Catholic view, entail something that will go against the dignity of the person's biological reality. And this is what's so important where you bring up the Catholic faith, that the Catholic faith really emphasizes, one, that you know we have a God-given biological reality and that our sexuality and our identity are one. They can't be separated, body from soul, identity, or any of this. And so that wait-and-see approach that's utilized in the therapy, a lot of people like to refer to it as, quote-unquote, conversion therapy, whatever that is. A lot of people try to use it as a blanket term. We've talked about that before. In fact, we'll include a link in the podcast notes as well as on social media to where we Michael and I have talked about so-called uh, conversion therapy because it's an important topic that we have to discuss because it's under a lot of political heat today internationally but when we talk about so much of what you've mentioned it's important to understand that a lot of the cooperating studies not just in the United States but worldwide are showing like you said that the vast majority of children teenagers adolescents who identify as transgender or even same-sex attracted work that out because it's all falls under gender dysphoria in fact to the extent that we're seeing 80 to 95 percent that's eight to nine, almost 100% of these kids, if they're not ushered into an LGBTQ identity, but we just wait and see, they do not identify as experiencing gender dysphoria as the years go on. Can you speak, Michael, and this is, I think, really important. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory, we're discussing the recent monologue by comedian Bill Maher on his Friday HBO talk show where he talked very truthfully about the reality of transgenderism and how it's targeting children. We should be questioning this, especially with the sudden onset for many young people today. But Michael, can you speak to how we are doing a disservice to young people today in the respect that and all people identifying as transgender, that we're ushering them into so-called gender affirming care, but we're not looking at, okay, is this person experiencing anxiety, depression, OCD, um, any number? Can you speak to some of those comorbidities that precede gender dysphoria and how when they're left untreated, that can contribute to this crisis people are experiencing with gender dysphoria? 
I think that's a great thing to consider. So a lot of people don't understand that studies generally show that children who present with predominant gender dysphoria have most of the time presented with a preceding psychiatric condition before gender dysphoria was expressed. So that can be depression or anxiety or other kinds of symptoms of mental health issues. There is certainly a real and serious suffering when somebody perceives themselves to be in the wrong body. So I know I don't think either you or I, Timory, are saying these children aren't suffering or having difficulty. And we're not saying that their suffering difficulty by the wait and see approach should be ignored. We're saying that it should not, we should not affirm their suffering as their solution. So because someone is suffering, that is a situation where they believe themselves to be in the wrong body. If you tell them they are in the wrong body, you're aligning yourself with the source of their suffering and thus limiting their potential for healing. In the Catholic worldview, the Christian worldview, I am a soul and body. I am my soul and my body. But in the dominant secular view, I am my mind. And as a Catholic, I am a creature, so my nature as a human person is the intentional gift of God who is good, who has loved me into existence as the person I am. But the secular view kind of goes with a different perspective, which is I am a self-defining being. I must decide what it means to be me. I have no given nature to direct or limit my free choices. And the problem with this is that the primary identity of us as children of God, as a daughter or son of God, is influenced by the reality of our biology. God reveals something about us through our design. And that tells me about his plan for my life and his plan for happiness for me. And by the way, Timory, a lot of these ideas... There are resources online for people like personandidentity.com and other Catholic resources to help us understand these really important distinctions between the dominant secular view versus the Catholic worldview of who we are as individuals. You said something that was so important. I'm not going to get it right, but you said God reveals something about us by our very design. And I think that that's such a profound statement that at the heart of the crisis many people are experiencing today with gender dysphoria, with eating disorders, with anxiety, depression, all these mental illnesses that people are going through. You see this firsthand, Michael, working with people with mental illness, uh, that at the heart of the issue is when we've ignored that design God has for our body, our mind, our soul, that unity. Uh, when we've gotten that wrong, when we've been taught otherwise, when we've experienced heartbreak, dysfunction that has led us to identify according to our brokenness, according to our wounds, or according to what we think will fix it rather than what will actually fix it. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about the Bill Maher video, whilst there are a lot of differences between the Catholic worldview and the worldview Bill Maher purports on his show often or shares with the world, they say politics makes for strange bedfellows, as the expression goes. So his video has almost 2 million views in just about three days and over 13,000 comments. This is a very pressing issue of our time. And gender ideology clearly has gone to the point where even secularists are curious and questioning why are we saying this about ourselves. And what's cool is as Catholics, we have an opportunity to speak to that longing for truth with the truth of our church. So 
we can evangelize the culture and use this topic as an in. We have really good answers to these questions that have a profound impact on our individual and social collective well-being. Michael, I want to dive a little bit more so into the Bill Maher interview because he brought something up that I think uh, needs to be discussed more. We were actually just joined here on Trending on Friday to talk about the trans effect that's happening through social influence, particularly social media, TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, uh, Pinterest, all of it. Pinterest has actually been a huge part of uh, trans identifying behavior. Uh, but Dr. Nicholas Carderis, he's really the leading national expert on technology addiction and behavior, especially among young people. And he asked me recently, he said, Tim Ray, can we please talk about transgenderism? I didn't even know he had a take on this. And what he had to say got into a lot of the neuroscience and the conversation on this, but really touching on the impact the social contagion through social media. So with all that in mind, we'll include a link to that in the podcast as well as online. But keep that in mind as you listen to what Bill Maher says. He clearly did his research and he clearly is concerned about this when he actually talks about the impact of social influence for young people today. And if you haven't noticed that with kids doing something for the likes is more important than their own genitals, you haven't been paying attention. Dr. Erica Anderson is a prominent 71-year-old clinical psychologist who is herself transgender and who now says, I think it's gone too far. The LA Times summarizes, she's come to believe that some children identifying as trans are falling under the influence of their peers and social media. If you attend a small dinner party of typically very liberal upper-income Angelinos, it is not uncommon to hear parents who each have a trans kid having a conversation about that. What are the odds of that happening in Youngstown, Ohio? If this spike in trans children is all natural, why is it regional? Either Ohio is shaming them or California is creating them. Okay, a few things are really important that were just said here, but I want to focus in on one. A 71-year-old psychologist who identifies as transgender even objects and speaks to the problem of many young people identifying as transgender and being ushered into the community. Michael, this is what's really interesting because especially growing up in the dancer community, I know you were involved a lot in theater. We saw many people who identify as transgender, same-sex attracted, queer, bisexual, living these lifestyles. And I found it interesting that many people really kind of uh, Gen X and up, maybe a little bit more so heading into boomers generation, that they actually oppose what's being done with transgenderism in children. They really do believe uh, that that's an issue that needs to be dealt with well into your adult years and that this cross-sex hormone and so-called sex change or gender affirmation surgery really is something that needs to be considered uh, much later in life rather than what's being done to eight-year-olds. Can you speak a little bit to this trend as well between the social influence and then the older generations identifying as transgender opposing this but these voices being silenced? You mentioned earlier that gender dysphoria was on the same spectrum as L, G, and B. And I think that's really insightful and very curious comment, Timory, because I don't think a lot of people consider them on a spectrum, that there may be their categories, but I do think they're related. I think for a lot of men, for instance, with same-sex erotic arousal predominantly in childhood, let's say by teenage years, they notice they're predominantly sexually interested in, in other men. 
that is what some psychologists call gender identity deficit. So instead of feeling dysphoric, they feel deficit. And that means that they see masculinity as something other than different to long for, to seek approval and affirmation from, but they seek that in a sexualized way. Now, there are a variety of theories and conceptualizations on why people have these predominant same-sex arousals for men and women, but that's one angle to consider. Why is that important? Because if somebody feels truly at a deficit to other people of their same sex, it is not a far leap that they begin to question their validity as a member of that sex. I can even speak to this personally. I remember in high school when I was predominantly struggling with same-sex arousal as opposed to opposite-sex attraction, I began to question my identity a little bit, right? But at the time, this was in 2003 or so, this was, trans ideology was nowhere near what it is today. I hadn't even really heard of that. And so quickly, I was actually even able through my own reasoning to, to say, no, I'm a guy, because people weren't actively telling me if I had any questions or thoughts about that, that it meant I should explore it and pursue it. But now even a small foothold of a curiosity or question based on an insecurity of sex or gender may be inflamed and pressured by an ideology that's even furthered through social media at an exponential rate. Michael, what you just brought up with the term gender identity deficit is something many people have not heard. And uh, I find it interesting that and I want to come back on this. I've worked with a lot of young people who come from good Catholic homes where they'll come to me and say, listen, I know I'm not LGBTQ. However, I'm really struggling. I don't feel like many girls will say this. I don't feel like a girl. I feel uncomfortable in my skin. I don't like a lot of what I, I'm experiencing or being told to do. I want to come back talking to that a little bit because there's a difference between having, as you said, Michael, an identity deficit and identifying as something else. And I think many good homes, people understand, I don't identify as transgender, but something's up and I need to work on this. So we'll be right back here on Trending with Timory with Michael Gasparro taking your questions on the LGBTQ crisis confronting us. Numbers 1-888-914-9149. You can also ask your question now on social media. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Bill Maher had a fantastic monologue on the topic of transgenderism, and it is blowing people's minds. It speaks a lot of truth. It's also a hilarious. I tweeted it. You can find it on my Twitter at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I. We've been playing clips of it uh, to discuss, but something we're just discussing in light of the Bill Maher conversation, and joining me now is licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro, who is has his boots on the ground confronting this issue uh, head on, working with young people and adults who are experiencing same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, transgenderism, all of it. But we were discussing, Michael, what you referred to as gender identity deficit, where you talked about how, you know, you aren't necessarily, um, well, how about you explain gender identity deficit and we'll get back to that conversation. Gender identity deficit is based on an idea that our inherent gender is the same as our biological sex, but that psychological development 
requires time and emotional support, approval and affirmation from those of us in our same sex category. So a father to a son, a mother to a daughter, and even a father to a daughter about her blessedness as a daughter. So over time, our sense of identity as a part of our same sex peer group is an important developmental milestone. It doesn't change your gender because you don't identify with your gender. It just is an indicator of developmental deficit. So for some people, a deficit of gender identity can contribute to same-sex erotic arousal. It can also contribute to, at a more extreme level, gender dysphoria. So that's the general concept I'm offering. And I think some people who may have identified previously in, let's say, two generations ago as gay and quote, you know, the identity predominantly being same-sex erotic arousal, now are more likely to identify as gender dysphoric or trans because it plays and preys upon any sense of gender inferiority. And then children are told that that means they're in the wrong body or perhaps that they should further explore and pressure even children into exploring that aspect of their woundedness as a part of their identity. I think this is really important, Michael, because you mentioned someone who's experiencing that gender identity deficit uh, often just needs time, emotional support, models of femininity if you're a girl, mm -hmm. masculinity if you're a boy, uh, but also complementarity from the opposite sex. And man, God just got it so right. What is Part of what is so beautiful about femininity, masculinity is that we affirm and confirm it in one another before one another. This is so much of St. John Paul II's theology of the body. It helps us to understand the depth of that complementarity in who we are as men and who we are as women, that we discover one another before one another. Uh, but when you talk about gender identity deficit, I've come across uh, many young people, especially in high school, speaking across the country, girls in particular over the last few years, who will come to me and say, listen, I know I'm not transgender. I know I'm not gay but I just really feel uncomfortable like calling myself a girl. I don't like being a girl. It's upsetting to me. And it's a very emotionally charged topic and they want to talk to me. And it's one of those come Holy Spirit moments. But so often what I find in those conversations, and I always ask you know, the young individual if I can contact their parents and have their parents' contact information, that exactly what you said, time, emotional support, models, but also having role models. Like let's say you're an eight-year-old girl. An eight-year-old girl, whether they're struggling with gender identity deficit or transgenderism or anything, girls need to see examples of other girls their same age, a little older than them, a lot older than them. Same with boys. We need those models and that sexual affirmation from the opposite sex. Uh, can you speak to how important important that is and how perhaps parents could uh, be a little um, more proactive with helping to provide those examples to their kids. I love that Bill Maher said, maybe the girl just realized she didn't want to be like a Kardashian. And I think <laughs> yes, that's a great yes. example of, of <laughs> models, right? That as though that's if our society glorifies and typifies femininity as Kardashian, and I'm not trying to belittle them, but it's certainly not the height of an only way of expressing femininity, um, right? So similarly to young boys, you know, I'm a very sensitive and artistic person. I was a singer at a young age. I, I feel emotions very strongly. 
and everyone feels emotions, but I was an artist by my nature very early on. And I think, for example, when you make things more about gender identity and less about expression of our unique selves, you confuse children. It's okay to be a boy who likes artistic things. It's okay to be a girl who likes sports. So I think it's ironic because gender identity ideology actually furthers these stereotypes that limit people's expression of their interests to false constructs of masculinity and femininity. What do you think, Timory? Oh, I 100% agree with you, especially, you know, you mentioned kind of your artistic background. I grew up in the world of the arts and specifically dancing, and I worked with men who were very much so heterosexual and some who were very much so um, kind of identifying as same-sex attracted. And I also saw the tragic uh, stories of some of my friends who were totally heterosexual and for years after being told, well, you're just gay because you're a dancer over and over and over again um, to being rejected by some girls because many people, yeah, right? And many people labeled him as such to then him getting into looking at gay pornography because he thought, well, maybe there is something to what they're saying, so let me explore this. I've just seen the absolute destruction and confusion by essentially bullying when the reality is, and again, I know people will disagree with me on this, that things such as dance and art and various things do not need to be put into a box the way they have been in our society. No, and look at the history of our church. The history of our church rejects this. Tradition alone. I mean, the, the some of the greatest artists and sculptors and musicians and composers in the tradition of Western development of culture have been men and women. So we don't need to tell women they're not allowed to like things that are traditionally masculine. And we don't need to tell men they're not allowed to like things that we currently in our American culture 2022 label as feminine. Now, there might be tendencies and trends towards natural expressions of the majority of a sex that's fine i'm not i'm not burying my head in the sand and saying all women should like football and all men should like ballet that's not what we're saying we're saying when you hyper you emphasize a false construct of masculinity and femininity based on expression of a, a very subjective desires you might confuse people further just like the kardashian comment earlier And I think especially for this conversation, Catholics, we can look to the saints as models and examples. We have a variety of saints of men and women who do not fit in any particular box about their interests or personalities, but they're always uniquely attuned to their femininity or their masculinity, and that is expressed as rooted in Christ. Masculinity and femininity are very important in our tradition, but they don't always get expressed the same way through every person. You know, Michael, I may say all the time that barbecuing is a total man thing and I refuse to do it. But again, it actually is kind of one of those examples where a guy might listen, well, man, if I don't barbecue, am I not a man? Or like a woman, a woman may say, and my mom loves to barbecue. By the way, she's gone to like these hardcore barbecue, smoker barbecuing classes uh, with like all these men who compete. And she is a very talented smoker. That salmon is amazing. And just to be clear, not a smoker smoker, but a cooking 
barbecuing smoke, whatever you call it. I digress. Michael, I do want to play a couple more of the clips from Bill Maher. You mentioned one of them, and that is where he talks about the Kardashians and girls who just hate girly things, because Bill Maher is, just touches on so many, I think, important dimensions of this that you and I talk about here all the time on trending that I like to continue to unpack a little bit more. So let's play this where he talks about girls who hate girly things. In certain enclaves, there is some level of trendiness to the idea of being anything other than straight. Then this is not a serious science-based discussion. It's a blow being struck in the culture wars using children as cannon fodder. I don't understand parents who won't let their nine-year-old walk to the corner without a helmet, an EpiPen, and a GPS tracker. <laughs> and God forbid their lips touch dairy. But... <laughs> But hormone blockers and genital surgery, fine. Talk about a nut allergy. Okay, we'll actually come in just a moment to the girls who hate girly stuff comment. But what he talked about here, I think, speaks volumes. And maybe, Michael, you can speak to how this overprotectiveness from some parents and then this hands-off approach when it comes to anything surrounding a sexual identity or sexual proclivities is very odd psychologically for a parent to choose to do, uh, but also confusing for a child as well who's been so stymied from, I mean, just walking down the street or digging a hole. I know a lot of parents. I let my child get totally grimy and disgusting and dirty, and that's okay, and play with bugs. I know other parents, I mean, don't let a speck of dirt touch their skin. They need to be scrubbed for 10 minutes. Yeah, I don't know. There is some DB trend. It's interesting, isn't it, about protectiveness? I often think in this regard too, and I don't know. I'm not a parent right now. So, you know, full disclosure, I don't have a child in 2022, but I keep in mind like the the joy of childhood of running to family, like just going to a child's a friend's house and knocking on the door and wanting to play and play mm -hmm. in general is a big part of this. What does play do for children? And if we overprotect their play, then you're limiting their imagination and their expression. And I think of the play dates now. I get it. It's different than when I was a kid in 1992. But there's something about spontaneous play that's really limited by hyperfixation on risk. So with children, allowing them to get dirty, to play, to risk take, especially according to their gender, boys and girls might risk differently. That's okay. And of course, as a parent, you have to have the final say on what risk goes too far. But to your point, Timory, we might be overly influenced by neurotic fears of our culture if we are extremely fearful of natural risk associated with childhood play, but are afraid ourselves to put limits on sexuality or discussions on gender. It's interesting to see that connection and how for some kids in particular, it's almost as if uh, they acted out after years of, as you said, that neurotic fear of culture and fixation on risk, that these kids kind of just implode at a certain point and almost become experimental or um, rejecting who they are because they don't like who they've become because of this bubble that's been placed around them. Yeah, and teens, generally speaking, like to rebel against authority. So if we can accept that that's possible in other domains, we probably should consider that 
this could be considered a form of rebellion in some, in some ways as well. So some parents shouldn't take it too seriously. When I say that, I mean, if you take every whim or phase of your child seriously to the point of indulging it, you might actually further their confusion instead of patiently accompanying them while they sort through some of the confusion they're experiencing. Okay, I know we already kind of talked about this, but I do want to come back to it. Bill Maher, in his monologue on the transgender craze and calling it out for what it is, experimentation on children in a sudden onset that's kind of odd, uh, he talks about girls who hate girly things and how there are other solutions to this. Maybe the girl who hates girly stuff just needs to learn that being female doesn't mean you have to act like a Kardashian. Maybe childhood makes you sad sometimes, and there are other solutions besides hand me the d saw. <laughs> and look, I'm sure the vast majority of parents do not take this lightly, and that it's very hard to know when something is real or just a phase. And I understand being trans is different, it's innate. But kids do also have phases. They're kids, it's all phases. The dinosaur phase, the Hello Kitty phase. One day they want to be an astronaut, the next day you can't get them to leave their room. Gender fluid, kids are fluid about everything. If kids knew what they wanted to be at age eight, the world would be filled with cowboys and princesses. <laughs> I wanted to be a pirate. Thank Thank God nobody took me seriously and scheduled me for eye removal and peg leg surgery. <laughs> okay, Michael, can you speak especially to that last segment about how Bill Maher says he wanted to be a pirate as a kid. Thank God no one scheduled him for a surgery to move an eye and to get a peg leg. Yet that's essentially exactly what is happening today with the young eight-year-olds to adults. And part of the joy of this clip for people like me and probably yourself, Timmy, too, is we've been talking about this and have been often called very nasty things for saying these things. And so to hear somebody from the mainstream culture say them feels very affirming of our concern. Uh, but what I actually stood out to me the most of that clip was sometimes childhood makes you sad. And I think mm. that's really important. And it's actually a subtlety that should not be missed. All children will feel all of the emotions because humans feel all of the emotions and that's including the comfortable ones and the uncomfortable ones and sadness, anger, fear, hatred, love, joy, desire. All the emotions that we have are gifts from God that are faculties which help us to choose good and avoid evil. So if we try to stifle our children's sadness by avoiding the discomfort of their emotional life, that will not serve them well in the long run. And so his attentiveness to something about this being related to parents' own discomfort with their children's emotional lives, I think is worth reflecting on further. Hmm. And just a final thought, because I think that's very profound what you said, kind of coming back to this, Bill Maher's comments, and I hope you'll check it out on my Twitter, we post it on social media, as well as in the podcast notes, what he said about transgenderism, I think speaks to what a lot of people think and believe. But he's just done more homework and he's willing to say it out loud and also make jokes about what should be made a joke of. That's licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro here on Trending. I'll be right back to take your questions.
We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's so good to be with you. I've had a lot of questions coming in from the LGBTQ topic to abortion. I want to take a handful of these. Uh, can't get to all of them, but we'll get into these, especially as the week goes on. Uh, one from Diana. What do you do when your child who's in elementary school wants to promote Pride Month? Ooh, this is an important topic. We're coming up on June, just days away. I have this gut feeling that Pride Month is going to come with a vengeance this year, especially because of everything centering around abortion, to just the need for many people today, I think, uh, to express themselves in light of the culture we've been living in the last few years. And the loudest voices will be rather loud, and many of those are in the LGBTQ camp today. So what do you do when your kid has been influenced by this and wants to promote Pride Month? That's a really good question, especially in elementary school. I think that the more important question is to get to the heart of why your child has such a great level of empathy, compassion, and desire to be a advocate for Gay Pride Month. I think that that is really where it needs to start by gently and lovingly asking those questions to really get to the heart of where is your kid at and what are they thinking about LGBTQ issues? Because the reality is, is that if your elementary school child is wanting to promote this, they are being brainwashed either through social media a club at school or by a teacher. And that needs to be curbed and addressed. Uh, Warning, Pinterest, TikTok, Instagram, all of those are huge risk factors, along with many shows today. As we know, Disney's come out. They made it very clear they're intentionally incorporating uh, transgender, gay, bisexual elements into all of their shows. So get to the heart of what are they being exposed to, number one, two, Where is that soft spot? Remember, children are incredibly empathetic in many ways. Sometimes they're not empathetic as well, but children do have have a very high level of empathy. And so what is it that they're empathizing with and how can we speak to that? And perhaps you want help guiding and navigating that level of where their empathy and desire to promote the, the Pride Month is. I'd be happy to take that question. But I think, again, it really starts with where are they thinking on this? Uh, because I think that it's a beautiful thing for a young person to desire to get up behind a cause. And I think we should recognize that. The problem is, are they getting behind the right causes? That, I think, is the heart of the issue. And unfortunately, today, many young people are being suckered and brainwashed into uh, pulling on their heart strings and compassion to support causes that aren't healthy or wholesome for anyone. And so really allow your child, especially in elementary school, to guide what they believe and what they know and really help them to feel comfortable to share what they know because you might be a little scandalized by what they know about the LGBTQ topic. And that will allow you uh, to navigate what your response will be. And it's okay, parents, if you don't know how to respond when you are possibly shocked by some of what they reveal to you, that's okay. I was actually just listening to a podcast yesterday of a woman who went in for years and would train young people uh, on LGBTQ ideology as well as on so-called reproductive rights, abortion, uh, 
all of those issues circling around sex ed that we disagree with in the way that they're being shared. But she was saying one of the things that she was trained to do was to engage in icebreakers with children to help them and being so comfortable with saying crass things and crass language about um, intimacy and body parts that it desensitized them that they were willing to just talk about anything. And what really spoke out to me is that we don't want to encourage that crassness, but we need to understand that unfortunately many young kids are at the point where they know a lot and we have to kind of get an idea for how much they know. And so working with your kid to feel comfortable to share what they've heard, hopefully before you even have to pry, they're going to come to you with that. But establishing that bond and that connection, that clarity and trust with your child to come to you to maybe ask and answer those questions would be a really helpful place to start on this issue. Because again, if a child in elementary school is promoting Pride Month, they may know a lot, they may know a little, and we need to get to where they're at. And I'd love to take more on this question. If you want to share more of what your kid's like, I'd like to hear more of your story, Diana. This was a great question on Instagram. Uh, So many more questions coming in. I'd love to take all of them. Um, One came in from Mary Luna um, and another Hanno. Okay, here's an anonymous question. Uh, My friend came out as trans and gay and is taking hormones. How would you address this? That's hard. It sounds like this is someone you're really close to because you refer to them as being like a sister. If that's the opportunity or the perspective, I really want to encourage you to listen to Friday's podcast where I actually talk a little bit about this. But I think that delivering the truth in love is important. And you need to start by asking yourself this question and then taking this question to your friend. Do they know that you love them? And do they believe that you love them? And if you know the answer is yes, and if they respond yes, then I think that you have the opportunity to proceed. But if your love for them is brought into question, it's important you know that maybe have a little bit of work to do before breaching this topic a little bit further. But the reality is, and we talk about it a lot here on Trending, we need to tell the truth about cross-sex hormones. Ladies, listen to me for a moment. Whether it's cross-sex hormones uh, with the opposite sex or whether it's hormones for contraceptive purposes, when we start putting synthetic hormones into our bodies, when we start putting cross-sex hormones into our bodies, this damages our reproductive functions. And especially with cross-sex hormones, for many people, it renders them infertile. For most people, once you start using cross-sex hormones for a time, you will have to be on cross-sex hormones and a various level of balancing hormones for the rest of your life. The distribution of body fat, of weight, of the altercation to the voice, some of this stuff, yes, while induced by cross-sex hormones, is also doing permanent damage to the body, much of which is experimental. We don't even know to the full extent the long-term effect. And so I think that speaking in particular and starting with focusing in on those hormones And how bad it is, is a really important place to start. There are a lot of really great resources, but if you have a friend, especially a female who is identifying as transgender, Abigail Schreier's new book that came out a couple years ago uh, is really, really good. We'll include a link to it on social media. 
as well as in the podcast notes. Her book's called Irreversible Damage, and I really recommend it because it helps you understand why many young women, adolescents and older, are coming out as transgender and how to kind of help navigate those difficulties. So check out the link. We'll also include a link in the podcast where I discuss much of the work in her book to understand where many young women are coming from. Trending with Timory, it's great to be with you. Coming up is a family rosary across America. This is a gentleman's hour that you don't want to miss. Low testosterone, what is it causing for men and how can you boost it? This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. I'll be joined by a special guest to talk about elevating testosterone naturally with squats and diet for men because low testosterone is leading to major cause in depression, among other things I just won't mention. So join me Wednesday at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.